Hello, Wayne. How are you doing? It's all fun and games at Manchester United, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think we've got anything to talk about? We've got lots to talk about. None of it's actually very concrete right now. Where, where did the week start? Did the, so, so, obviously, we had all the fallout from the defeat to Brentford, which has just been a horrible, horrible mess. <laughs> so, I, I guess we can start there. We've had leaks coming out of the dressing room saying they're not happy with Eric Ten Hag's approach. Two weeks that took. Two weeks for yeah. the moaners to start moaning. Yeah, I don't know where you begin with. So there are two aspects to United's defeat, which now have been taken four or five days to sort of think about it. The two aspects which have been problematic. The first is Eric Ten Hag's approach to it, and the second is the historical problems that we already know exist. Now, mm, sure. Ten Hag's issues are more obviously more forgiving of because... All right, even playing Martinez in defence, you can look at that from two sides. You can say, all right, we were vulnerable at set plays. The other thing is when you look at the actual analysis of Martinez's performance, it's not so bad. And I'm still, as someone under six foot, I'm slightly forgiving of someone who gets overjumped on the goal line. Do you know what I mean? They they were on top of him. So a little bit of uh, sympathy for him in that regard. But, you know, the mistakes he made, I can sort of understand them. And you obviously... He made a bold decision to drop McTominay. Bold in terms of he's been a fixture in that side for three years. Sure. And he's obviously now he's saying that's a that's a problem. He's not working. Take him out. By all accounts, there was a decision over Maguire and Varane, which suggests yeah. that Maguire's position's vulnerable. He hooked short half time, so it looks like Tenog, unlike previous managers, he's not going to play a long game with these big decisions that need no. to be made. Well, he doesn't have the time. Um, Exactly. Well, yeah, but at least he's going to make them, you know. And so you yeah. forgive him, forgive him if he makes tactical errors along the way, because it's a bit of a mishmash of a squad. Right. The, the, the well, problem... every Manchester United manager has had to make compromises, every single one of them, because they're all yeah. left short, aren't they? So he's making yeah. compromises, and it's just whether he can work out a formula that works before yeah. he gets the boot. <laughs> it's well, ridiculous we're talking about that because obviously, obviously there are issues at play that are much bigger than Ten Hag, but two defeats already, he's under pressure. Yeah, the historical problems are the ones I've got a problem with. So the, the, the pl- playing out from the back, they all know that they can't do that. The players know that they can't do that. And all right, if that tactical approach doesn't work, that's one thing for the players and the managers to discuss. But having the conversations I've had over the past week with a couple of former United players, I talked to Luke Steele on the podcast, talked to Paul Parker on the podcast, and the both the both of them came to this conclusion that the teammates are basically the the lack of accountability. I say the lack of accountability. The problem with unaccountability at United is that those players, and somewhat understandable, they're under a lot of pressure that they're not playing for each other. They're putting each other under pressure. They, the, Maguire, in particular, playing to uh, De Gea's weaknesses, and you don't know. It seems like that that plan has come from Ten Hag. You know, play out from the back from goal kicks and everything like that, because that's what De Gea seemed to be intimating. He seemed to be admitting that he's not really great at that. But somewhere along that line of communication, it needs that problem needs to be addressed because against Liverpool last year. We conceded three goals in the first half and it could have been about six or seven, all from that kind of mistake. And if the players aren't good at it, then they need to be having that conversation themselves. But I feel like sometimes it feels, when you're watching them, as if they don't realise that they're not good at it. They think, oh, we can do it. We're obviously good at it and the manager wants us to do it and we'll just keep trying it and it'll work. And it's like, 
it doesn't work, but it's not doing any favours for anyone. It's not making them look good. It's inviting the pressure on them from the support as well. It's a terrible, terrible game plan. It's it's excruciating to watch. You know that it's going to cause problems. Opponents have figured it out so easily. And it's like, it sounds so rudimentary, kick it into Rose Z, but that's what they have to do, these players, because they, they really, yeah. when you've got a crisis like United have got, and it definitely is, this isn't cracked badge on the back of the Daily Mirror crisis. This is, gen- <laughs> this is genuine crisis. And the players have to get back to basics, and they're not doing that. And, and yeah. s- somewhat you do excuse Tenog for it, but at the same time, the players need to be having that conversation as well. He's very determined to, to play a certain way, and I think it's right. He wants to instill a pattern of play on this team and create a team. And I wonder, coming back to what I opened with, the moaning coming out of the dressing room and the, the yeah. leaks that still continued, despite certain players having left. So work that one out. Yeah. He, he He's very determined, and I wonder whether those moaning leaks coming out of the dressing room are about taking a more pragmatic approach against Liverpool and whether we'll see United... Not boot it long, necessarily, but just be a little more direct into into the forward place. The challenge, of course, is we don't really have the players to do that either, right? So yeah. we do have the players, I think, because we've got some quick forwards, if they're all fit, to get it into the channels and have players run. So have a low block against Liverpool and play on the break. The way that Solskjaer played with this team and got them to second in the league... So I was going to say Oli, so. Oli, Oli's forgiven. Oli, Oli's becoming a better manager by the day, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, so. yeah uh, anyway, we'll see. We'll see against Liverpool whether it changes. I mean, it's. I don't know if United have ever started the Premier League season with three defeats in a row. I don't think so. I'm trying to recall your 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 one for history, but it really would be a crisis. Three defeats in a row, but it seems very likely. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say. For, although Liverpool haven't started the Premier League season that great either. Victory could take us over them in the in the table. Uh, well, anyway, it, even if we draw, Ed, it still equals our worst start to a Premier League season. Which, right. into, but if you want a good omen, that was the first Premier League season. We obviously won that, so right. we can yeah. turn things around. So. You can't win anything with kids, or although that was ninety five, wasn't it? Or, or apparently with these players that we have in the squad. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the bigger the bigger structural things would be possibly solved if we got new owners. I mean, it's not just new owners with money; it's new owners who have an eye for football operations as well. Because clearly, United under the Glazers have not appointed the best in the business when it comes to running a football club. Clearly, otherwise, what has happened this summer, which has happened every summer since 2013, basically, would not have happened. So we've had a lot of changes. We've talked about. With Richard Arnold coming the CEO. He's he's talked a good game. He's going to delegate responsibility. He's given a lot of power to the football director John Merton, Andy O'Brien, his deputy. They've got a really big team, massive re- recruitment team as well. And Darren Fletcher, they're a technical director, though his role does not seem to be confirmed still. And yeah. a brand new coaching team, of which under Ten Hag there are four previous full-time managers. Right, so tons of experience. So, but it's still a mess. It's still a mess on the pitch, and it's very, very much a mess off the pitch. Anyway, yeah. it's a long way of saying that might be fixed if we get new owners, and there's been a lot of talk about it this week, starting with Elon Musk tweeting a joke about it. But you know that's going to create headlines. Starting with Michael Knighton, actually, if we rewind mm. the clock a little bit. God, I, yes. I, I, will, I will tell you my little two pence worth in the year, but I'm not going to make massive judgments on Michael Knighton. 
and and assessments of oh go villain. on go the, on no <laughs> no 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 it's easy I, to make judgments about him no so <laughs> i i interviewed michael um oh yeah i'm gonna say 18 tw- 24 months ago around that period of time oh, right. and he was talking then about a new blueprint that he had to talk about the ownership the changing ownership and that he would put together this, this blueprint at some point if anyone wanted to take it forward so we fast forward to the moment in time and so I know the guy, I know John Gubber who interviewed him for, and he, he he's known him for a while, he's done a lot of interviews with him, he puts them on the YouTube. And I I, I think that Michael has seen this, he's, he's wrote, rode the wave of the media thing, but I think the, the original video which got picked up and, and went semi-viral, where he's sort of claiming there's going to be a hostile takeover and all that. I think he was just... There was a lot of sort of bluster going in there. And I don't mean blustering like, oh, he's, he's this is a facade, blah, blah, blah. I just think he didn't expect it to be picked up by as many people as he right. did. And he sort of said this. So he's made it look like it was a lot more prepared than what it was. And I know that John actually put another video out where he sort of took a step back from that. Let's say, no, we're not actually... We apologise for the tone in which that was put across. We're not actually in a position to be making a bid, so apologies if anyone thinks that there's a, an imminent offer on the table. In terms of the credibility of anyone that he's got involved, I don't know that. I just know that he talked to me about having a blueprint. And, yeah, I, I, I don't think that it's very credible. I think that he was still hoping that people would get involved with that and in the same, much the same way that people might say that he was trying to do that the first time round, even though... Even though he claims that he had the full financial package the first time round in 1989. Yeah. Whether or not. balls he, he, on the pitch and all of that. Yeah, so whether or not you believe that's true, whether or not you believe that the current thing is true, it's all. I think all that's kind of coincidental. I think the major driving factor with the Jim Ratcliffe story, I know that you're going to get to that. I think that's all mm-hmm. tied in with the protests rather than rather than anything to do with Michael Knight and rather than anything to do with Elon Musk. But I'll tell you that, I woke up early. I don't know why. It, it's one of those elements of faith thing. I woke up at 5.30am and he just, maybe about 50 minutes earlier, he tweeted, oh, I'm going to buy Manchester United. So I'm scrolling through and I'm like, what the heck is all this going on? And by the time I'd finished scrolling, he'd, he'd back down from it and said, I'm only joking. Yeah. And then and then by the time I'd finished scrolling the reactions of that, he'd sort of said, oh, but if I would buy anyone, I'm going to buy United. It's like, all right. It's a Twitter thing all over again. Yeah, so he's a he's a troll, Musk. I mean, he he is he's a very interesting character because he's a bullshitter, but he's a bullshitter that delivers, and and that kind of mix doesn't come along very often. I think it breaks people's sort of mental models about what bullshitters are. Whereas I think Michael Knighton's probably a bullshitter who doesn't really deliver. Although he is a big United fan, right? You can't take that. He is a big United fan, even if his credibility was probably shot. 30 years ago. As for Jim Ratcliffe, I mean, he said not a few months ago that it makes no sense as an investment. And so the only reason he would do this, because he's been a successful, a su- very successful businessman, and, and his investments in football have been at smaller clubs where he sees a potential for growth. Whereas he looks at the financials at United and anyone who invested in United at IPOs lost money. Yeah. You know, even with, a, even with a share price being juiced somewhat by Elon Musk. So it's not a good investment, so he'd do it only because of his legacy. And and it's a hell of a lot of money to spend for your legacy. But if he wants to do it, he's a very sensible sensible business person. I'm sure, I don't know all his background well, really, so I'm sure there's some stories about him not being that. I don't know, but I imagine he would 
sort out the operations of the club. Because beyond that, United make plenty of money. Now, yeah. we've been overtaken. And been overtaken by Real Madrid and Barcelona and by Munich and by Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain and probably this year by Liverpool and maybe even by Arsenal and Tottenham soon because United are going backwards as a financial operation. But it's still big enough to run on its own if only they spend the money wisely. Yeah. And they never spend the money wisely. Just almost never. It's shocking hit rate. It's funny, Gary Neville put out a tweet with his list of, I think he called it red, amber, green of, of, you know, of oh, yeah. Um, yeah. players. Yeah, yeah. so I'd done that about three years ago and I've been keeping a list because I'm a sad, sad man. I actually have a spreadsheet <laughs> on Google. Google that I've shared now and again with my assessment. It's basically the same, basically. I think Zlatan and Bruno are the only successes in yeah, and 10 he years. Can, he can argue that Bruno's... 50 signings. Yeah. And Bruno's gone, his form has fallen off a cliff and Zlatan had one good season because the second season was ruined by injury, really. And uh, it's just shocking. It's shocking how bad uh, United's um, operations have been in the market. And it's both selling and buying, particularly buying, but also selling. Yeah. Um, sold about £50 million worth of players in the last five years and Chelsea have sold £450 million. So yeah. Figure no. that one out. Yeah, I, no, I agree. I agree in terms of the success stories. I, I would say that there have been little, little sort of stops along the journey where you would sort of say, "Oh, that person could be an amber, or that player could be a green for that moment in time." I, I know a lot of people rated Herrera more highly than what most people would now in the moment, and especially when he left and there was a Herrera-shaped hole in there. It was like absence made the heart grow fonder, and I think now we sort of realise it, it in which the same case as with Ollie. So there are a few players, like even Daily Blind, a lot of people say, oh, we shouldn't have let him go because he was such a good footballer, but he just didn't work. One matter, obviously, a fantastic footballer and a great person, but he was a number 10, and we'd just given a 350 grand a week contract to Wayne Rooney to play in that role. Week, in probably the same week in which we signed Matter, which was not the wisest decision that we've ever made, but you could go down the road of saying that about so many different things and yeah. yeah it's it's so complicated in terms of these different I mean the thing is as well all of the the players brought under different managers brought in under different managers they've fit different profiles they've been brought to a, to a club that has a, <laughs> no distinct identity or personality you sort of knew what Mourinho wanted you had a vague idea of what Van Gaal wanted, you had a vague idea of what Solskjaer wanted and, and sometimes the signings seemed to contradict that when they were bringing you know what yeah. I mean, it, none of it made much sense and yeah the, the selling, United have never historically been a good selling club and I used to have that idealism I'm sure that we all did when we were younger that it was more to do with loyalty and, and giving back service. That's what it was traditionally meant to be with the young players. You know, you let them go for a more modest fee. That's what the academy was there for, partly to bring in players for the first team, secondly to raise funds. They never made any bones about that in the early days. That's what it was there for. But when those players were moved on, they they recouped modest fees. They never asked for massive fees for them. It was recognition of the service, recognition of the fact that those players would generally get lower wages as opposed to a Dennis Law or Eric Canton or someone like that coming in, commands higher wages, all that sort of stuff. And then when United sold in the or let go in the nineties, like Steve Bruce and Brian Robson, it, it was more a case of like, no, we're giving you a bit of a nice handshake. Even Schmeichel, let him go for nothing because you're recognising the service yeah. in which they're given. And then even when it came round to David Beckham and we sold him for twenty four million and you thought, Oh, he's probably in this market and his market at Billa 
market ability probably yeah, worth a lot more than that the, exactly yeah. do you know what i mean and you just thought all right well they're just letting him go as a thanks for his service all that sort of stuff roy Keane, let's he's like go for free and then ronaldo changed that a little bit even that looked cheap in retrospect and then ever since then it's like they haven't sold well and they've kept players around until they're you can't give them away you literally yeah. cannot give some of these players away um, well, no, because they, they're on massive contracts. And all of that has to change, and that was supposed to be John Murta's job. And I have to say, I mean, the red flags were were raised quite early when he got appointed to that role, not because I think he's a bad football administrator, but because it's his first time doing this job. I mean, yeah. he's he's made a career and a reputation in youth football administration, which is a very, very different game this yes. very different game and he just seems to have failed and now whether behind the scenes and i think i mentioned on the pod last week joel glazer's hand has been in things which i believe that is true and he so murder is doing his job with one hand tied behind his back but still there doesn't seem to be a plan and united sort of desperately searching around the market in the last two weeks for anyone is going to lead to some, some really bad decisions again and and it's all part of the bigger picture, as you as you mentioned before. It's structural issues. It's not only the the Glazers and and how they've run the club for their own benefit, but how dumb they are. You know, yeah. just it, how it, unbelievably I, dumb they are in terms of how they run the football club. Can I ask you a question? So yeah. we, we've got two weeks. Yeah, that's all we're here for, right? <laughs> Questions and, and conversations. <laughs> so we've got thirteen days of the transfer window. Let's say, for the sake of argument, that it, that United spend forty million on Casemiro, fifteen million on Jamie Vardy, and they go back in for Rabiot and spend twenty five million on him, and that's the summer signings completed. And I'm just using those three players as an example of players who have been recently yeah. linked. Would you prefer that United do that, or would you prefer that they sign nobody? Yeah, well, I'd prefer they took all that money and buy one really, really good player. If I can pick a third choice you didn't give me. Um, no, so, you don't get the yeah, third choice. And these are the two choices. You that just you give get. me the hard choices. Probably nobody. And and the reason why is I, I'm pretty confident that Casemiro, Rabiot and Vardy would all fail at United. Yeah. You know, for different reasons, right? Maybe Vardy would do okay. I, I mean, I, I think there's a wider moral question about whether you should sign people like Jamie Vardy and his history you know yeah. but but Casemiro it looks I mean the reports today say United are confident on that one I think his legs have gone he's 30 yeah. years old and he's after a big contract and I, I, I think there's too many red flags there I, I'd be really surprised if that one works out could be wrong and maybe he'll have a good first season but I, I don't I don't think it's I think Real Madrid are looking at us and see us coming yeah. and see that we're mugs and the other one Rabiot yeah, I'd never thought he was good enough uh, honestly, I, there's nothing I've seen of him in his career that tells me that he's worth the kind of wages that he was after. He ultimately failed at Paris Saint-Germain and Juventus are delighted to get him out. They, they were even considering paying him off before him. And his agent came to United and asked for the biggest wages at the club. So, yeah. Anyway, long way of saying yes, probably nobody, just because of how disruptive the, the three others would be. I just wish they'd make the right decisions. And... And it just seems to come down from... It's, it's well-known in football. It, this thing has been going around that United have not signed the best in the business when it comes to operations of the club. Hmm. It's all United need to do. I know I'm simplifying. And I'm not saying I could do it, although... 
hey, someone at United <laughs> wants to ask me to do it, I'll give it a shot. It, and it, obviously it's difficult. But there's a template there. You know, United don't have to do anything radical yeah. to actually get back to being a good club again, a successful competitive club. Yeah. Now, maybe they have to radically change something to reach the top again. Maybe. And it does take a cycle of good windows and United have never had that in the last 10 years yeah anyway that was that was all like about about the ownership to start with and and we'll see whether Ratcliffe makes a bid it's not going to be his own money it looks like they're talking about a minority stake of some kind with Apollo Global Management who are a private equity firm they 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 work across multiple industries and they have a typical private equity model they either take stakes out majority or minority stakes in businesses they lend against assets yeah, they lend. They lend against assets typically at a more expensive rate than banks. That's how they make the money. You know, right. private equity is not <laughs> neutral money. People often think it is, but it's it's not neutral money. It's there to get an exit. So it would be a bridge to something else, basically, which is another sale or re-IPO'd or something like that. And sometimes you have to be careful what you wish for. Um, exactly. Yeah. So it, and and look, we all want the glazes out. Well, the glazes out for the right people. I, I see that must put out a statement asking that any takeover includes some element of fan ownership and I think that's right I mean it has to be a meaningful element of fan ownership and that's really expensive and that involves a lot of fans around the world getting into their wallets and and spending some money so we'll see about that one but anyway careful what you wish for because private equity at Manchester United is probably not what we're wishing for maybe they'd instill a better better management structure maybe it would look like Chelsea and Todd Bowley and Clear Lake you know Mm. we'll see and we don't know whether that's good yet or not, do we? Yeah, exactly, yeah. But Bowley's running around Europe trying to sign players, seemingly loving the glory of it all. Hey, have we seen that anywhere before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well, yeah. It's, it another is day, a, another drama yeah. at United. Well, yeah, I mean, every single day this week, right? It's been something big. Yeah, it is. And people need to remember this about Ratcliffe as well. And I'm sure, well, I know for sure you're much more educated on this is why I am. He said earlier about Ratcliffe's his actual financial power. Just because his net worth is £14 billion doesn't mean he's got all that money to throw around. And what if he signed... It's not about... We know, we've had this moral... You, you and I have had this moral conversation many times about do you want United to be taken over by Saudi or or a state or something like that and, and deal with that moral quandary of just just for the sake of spending money and, and signing shiny new players and that's not the point it doesn't matter that United have an extra billion pounds to throw around on transfers, it's about being able to stand on their own two feet and you would presume that 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 model, the Ratcliffe model if he, he's able to get full ownership support that and sustain that if it is an ego thing, if it's a legacy thing, then, you know, that's what we've got to... That's basically what we're all hoping for, right? I mean, we're basically praying that... Well, not praying, but hoping that he's he's got that enough ego about him that he thinks that saving Manchester United, in inverted commas, would be the, the leg, one legacy that he'd like to leave behind. And, yeah, it's... Yeah. He's got everyone excited, I, I just though. say... It has got everyone excited. I'd just say don't. If it happens, and we'll all be delighted. Don't start praying at the altar of Jim Ratcliffe. Uh, <laughs> the cult of Jim Ratcliffe. I mean, if, if he wants his legacy to be saving Manchester United from themselves, then great. It, it comes with some risks. Private equity, if that's the route that happens, it does come with some risks. Anyway, it seems like the deal is really big because Glazers, uh, although they own like 90% of the voting rights, actually only, only own about 70, 76, 75, 76% of the shares. 
So it's six billion, which is the number that's floating around, which is, by the way, three times United's actual value on the stock exchange, yeah. which is a kind of false value because there's hardly any trades. So if it is that number, they will walk away with four and a bit billion split between six of them. Now, it's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'd quite happily take £750 million right now if anyone wants to hand that over. But it's not go off and buy another sports club rich uh, or no, buy a super yacht it, rich. But it is, uh, you know. it is the same amount that they'd all get the same amount of what they basically what it costs to get United in the first place, right? About 700 Yeah, but each mm, of them. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. Shall we move on to funding games in the transfer window? We, yeah. The, the big one seems to be Casemiro, which we've mentioned. I mean, like, I gave my view. I, I think there are too many red flags on this one. I, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to eat humble pie later, but I think I'd be right if they signed him on a five-year deal, age 30. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's, it is very much Schweinsteiger 2.0, isn't it? It's, the yeah. concern is... It isn't so much. He's been a great player. He's been a very great player. Be, he's been better yeah. than what I think. He, whenever I've seen him play, he's played better than what I thought his reputation was. He's been more integral to that Real Madrid side than I thought he was. So I, I thought he, whenever I've seen him, whenever I've seen Madrid linked to a midfielder when they bought Camavinga, when they were linked with Pogba, I always presumed all right, he's gonna that player's gonna come in for Casemiro because he's only the stopgap. But Real Madrid have won yeah. trophies, they've, they've won European Cups and he's been a heartbeat in that side and he's been integral to, to the way that they play. And I just think it, this is now at the point where if Real Madrid are thinking that it's dispensable, they're looking at a £40 million fee or whatever around that, which is probably still par for like what you would expect for midfielders to go around. For a thirty-year-old midfielder in these, this day and age, I think I think it's ludicrous. But you see players of that age going for that amount these days. But like you said, yeah. he, there's a very strong likelihood that his decline is rapid, and and we'd be seeing it in in a more physical league. And he doesn't yeah. he doesn't fit the profile really. He's not a de young like midfielder, so I don't understand what the the. No, um, he's more basic than that. Yes, so, oh. of course he's been playing with Cruz and Modric, who are also you know, to, to some extent in physical de- decline because they're into their 30s, but yeah. they're two you know, greats. Yeah. If you're, picking, if you're picking great players over the t- last 10 years, those two are in it, in, in that team. They've been fabulous players. They've got, what, five or six European Cups each, something yeah. like that. I think more than Ronaldo. They <laughs> want to go for the, 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 the thing with the ego there, but the great players also in decline. That Real Madrid side got very, very pragmatic. I mean, thank mm. good, goodness they did. Otherwise, we've been having to suffer <laughs> even more with Liverpool yeah. fans crowing. But, I, yeah, I, I'm deeply, deeply suspicious that it would work out, that one. And it's not just the fee, whatever it is, 40, 50, 60 million euros. It's the wages. Oh, massive it's not wages, on mega yeah. wages right now, but it would be mega wages to come. So, yeah. Anyway, the, the other one that struck me right at the moment, and Morgan Gibbs-White has moved from... Wolves to Nottingham Forest for 45 million and he's had basically I mean he's a talented player for sure but basically he's 22 now and he's had one good season in the championship yeah. you know I like Jimmy Jimmy Gardner who stories going around saying like United are prepared to let him go now maybe he won't be good enough maybe he won't be good enough United and maybe long term that's what he needs for his career to, to take off but he's had more than one good season in the championship, so he should be commanding a fee. Coming back to the thoughts about United being particularly bad at selling, so 
Well, the, the noted fee was around 50 million. Did they say Wambasaka is being linked for 10 million to Palace again? So, yeah. Well, that's uh, probably about right for him. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Cruel, but. <laughs> yeah, that is. It's a little bit cruel, I heard. But, you know, I think there's a player in there. And I think I'm surprised that he hasn't been given a chance. He's just, he just looks like complete Deadwood as far as. Because obviously he doesn't offer anything like the attacking profile that you would expect in a 10 hour fullback. So we know that. The, yeah, the Gibbs White thing is, is absolutely crazy. And for it to come, like. It's just, I know that this isn't anyone's fault at United, but it's just the way that things happen at United. It tends to go this way. That it comes a day after. United basically briefed everywhere that Garner was available for ten million pound. If they yeah. just if they just held on for twenty four hours, they could say they've got a thirty million pound midfielder there. Do you know what I mean? But they've already said teams can have him for ten to fifteen. Which again was was that meant to be like the the Rabiot fee covered? Which again raises its own alarm bells because you you're basically saying that player's going so that one can come in and and it hasn't worked out that way either. Which is just really really typical of United and as they thrash around in these like last days of the transfer window and you know because we talked right at the start of it that I'd be willing to give everyone the benefit of the doubt particularly in this case because like with Woodward and Moyes the first time around they were both starting in that position but it is like a bad rerun and they never seem to learn the same mistake from the, the mistakes they just repeat no. them and that's at the top. That's at the top with the transfer market, and it's on the team with the errors that they make. Do you know what I mean? It's just the same thing over and over again. It, it's uh, it's going to be a wild ride for the next what two weeks? I think is it September the first? The window closes once again. We're at the end, and it's going to be spray and pray. United are going to whatever money they spend, it's going to be all over the place. None of it seems to fit a pattern. They, they're clearly the. Ten Hag is after a midfielder, clearly. So we're going to get something there, I imagine. And the forward line looks desperately short if Ronaldo goes. And it seems again because everything's so leaky, I assume coming out of the Mendes camp, that Ten Hag finally had a conversation in which Ten Hag has given up on any thoughts of keeping Ronaldo. Now, whether the marketing department agree with that one, we'll see. (laughs) Those 500 million social media followers are very valuable for United's commercial relationships so yeah don't, don't um, worry Ed, because it, there could be something in the forwards he already told us Ronaldo's told us that in two weeks he's going to tell us all where he's going to set the record yeah. state, which, which is quite convenient because two weeks is after the deadline and yeah, yeah you know, right. but then we'll know for sure <laughs> what he thinks <laughs> just un, unreal uh, that's great marketing though by the way because if for everyone who fell for it you know and I'm, I've been a, not a Ronaldo apologist but I've supported him coming back and I've celebrated his goals and everything like that but this is just ludicrous to sort of say that say oh i'll let you know in two weeks we'll know before then chris we'll know before then mate gary neville tweeted out that i'm clearly subtweeting about ronaldo here that it doesn't take two weeks to speak up and he he wants them to speak out it wants ronaldo to speak out on the ownership issues i guess and the crisis at the club he called it which it is by the way but it's been a crisis for 17 years in one way or another it would be very very funny if ronaldo came out and said yeah the glazers are twats <laughs> i've always said this but he's not going to do yeah. that it's all going to be about him because it's always about him if if he says something at all so we'll, we'll see whether ronaldo goes it looks like it's moving towards that that position now what that where that leaves united in the forwards it's is would be very very thin 
very thin with what Pelestrian Ahmad likely to go out on loan. Marcus Rashford again, still not again. Pelestri and Ahmad are going to go out on loan again because when they come back this time, they'll finally be ready for first team yeah, football. Yeah, sure. Good. By grief. the time they're about thirty, they'll be ready. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it, it's uh, I know a couple of well, Pelestri was cheap. Ahmad was most definitely not cheap. So it, it seems like a, a terrible purchase at this stage. Whether he he needs a successful loan, maybe he'll grow. Who knows? But then you have got Sancho, who's desperately out of form. It seems just doesn't seem to be able to impact the game at all despite his many many qualities and and Marcus Rashford who looked brighter in pre-season but then was dreadful against Brentford and still doesn't doesn't do the things he needs to which is use his pace and make space it's always get the ball at his feet and cut inside same move all the time a a man who desperately needs the bonus of good coaching desperately for his career so anyway, if if United don't bring in a forward and they're going to be desperately thin, and if they do at this stage, it will not be the best quality, I imagine. No, but this is it comes back to that point, doesn't it? Would you rather sign someone or, or have no, no one at all? And yeah, people listening to this will be probably saying Glazenomics, but it's not really. It's about the long term morale of the squad and the long term benefit of the club. I mean, would you rather? keep that money in the bank what a stupid phrase considering where that would end up going but theoretically speaking would you keep that transfer kit that you have got and then bank it for the next round of transfers because we all know the profile that you want to be bringing in you want to be bringing in players who are between 19 and 23 years old they've got yeah. they've got a value there in the team they've got a resale value if it doesn't work out like Dan James for example the perfect kind of example I'm not saying buy five Dan James but players of that profile and, and youth and they're not going to be on the biggest wages and everything like that and they'll have drive, they'll have hunger. There's a, a massive, massive reputation around United that they're so easy to be got at these days and they're so vulnerable and they can be bullied. You're probably going to find some younger players who want to correct that, that they want to be able to turn that reputation around, whereas the senior players who we bring in, let's say Casemiro, he's not going to be bothered because once you bring him in, it's... The, it's the Winston Bogard theory, isn't it? You're just bringing him in on a big wage, and it doesn't matter what he does for for four years because he's got no, the, that's right. he's got the money. He doesn't have to do anything, and he doesn't have to prove anything because he's already got all the trophies that he needs to win. He's not going to be particularly bothered about re-establishing United as an eminent force. You'd like to think that he would be, but really, reality speaking, he's not going to be because he's already accomplished what he needs to accomplish. Well, so, exactly. I mean, Rafa Varane was asked about this. Did he regret joining Manchester United given the, the state of the team and the club? And he said, no, I've won everything and I'm happy to try new things. Code for I've won everything and now, now it's the final big payday. Yeah. So. Great interpretation. Varane could skills. still be very useful for United but he, he doesn't seem to be um, Ten Hag's yeah. first pick and he's he's not fit enough often enough and, and Casemiro again be happy to eat humble pie if it happens and he's a big success but I suspect in three years time we'll be saying he's a bit of a millstone can we move him on no we can't because he's on 400 grand a week or yeah. he's, in, he's in the red list he's in the red list already <laughs> Gary Neville's red list <laughs> I, I do think it's funny that Gary Neville is now talking about the Glazers constantly he, he didn't by the way Gary yeah. if you're listening I suspect he does you didn't do that for the years that you were playing for United or for the years when you needed to work with United because you were building a hotel right next to the ground or for the years when you used your media profile and connections with United to build your career in the media 
didn't say anything then now you feel comfortable and I think that shows a certain lack of credibility doing that glad he's saying something now because that platform is important but it should have come much earlier anyway yeah, well said well what said. else are we missing is that it for the week we've got Liverpool coming up how do you oh, think I mean back to grief. back to the questions of playing out from the back or being pragmatic do you think United can play out from the back and beat Liverpool's press oh I someone said the other day would you take a 1-0 defeat and I I can't. Oh I really can't get on board with that kind of thinking because you still. How can you? How can you even think like that? But then you look at you look at the wisdom of this team. If that's the right phrase to use, I'm not being critical, but they, you look at their capability to learn from the mistakes, incapability to as well, and whether or not. I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure that Ragnik set up. He tried to be pragmatic at Anfield because he set up with a packed defence, and that went to yeah. pot pretty quickly because yeah. the, he realised that the defenders aren't good enough. And I kind of think I, I suspect that we might see something like that this time around. That Ten Hag might go with a three-man defence, but the fullbacks yeah, yeah. aren't good enough, and the centre backs aren't good enough. So, like we we said, I think we. Did we cover that? Did I cover that with you straight after that that game? And we basically the the summary that I came up with was there's no safety in numbers with United's defense. So you oh, no, pretty much right. you're pretty much better. Five crappy defenders is not better than four crappy defenders. Exactly, it's, it's, it's a much much greater potential for disaster. It's the thing you can see it. You can see it coming though. David de Gea not having any options plays a straight ball out to McTominay. Ericsson, Fred, take your pick of who it is in central midfield facing his own goal. and He's under pressure from one of Salah, Luis Diaz, Diogo Jota or Nunes. Oh no, Nunes won't be playing because yeah. he's got himself a red card. Uh, but one of them and United concede. I mean, it's so predictable. I'd be absolutely shocked if United didn't concede that goal. Yeah. <laughs> or some some version of it in the game coming up, shocked. But we'll see. Maybe maybe they will have learned. And apparently this week they were working on pressing patterns and triggers and stuff. I, I'm sure mm-hmm. Ronaldo was a part of that conversation, flapping his arm, saying no, no, no. So let's see how that one works out. Do you think... I mean, um, the, the idea of pressing, do you think that that is very wise with this team. I, 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 well, I do, I do think that all successful teams have a high press because if you can win the ball, if you're a no, possession-based no, 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 no. team, you can win Ed, the ball high not, up the pitch. It's not the yeah, question no, I'm I know, asking. You, I know it's not the question. I know it's not the question. So generally speaking, yes, I think it's the right, the right way to play. For this game, and, and probably with this set of players, a low block and being a bit more direct into the channels is the way, the way to go. Although I don't really believe that this team could defend with a low block for 90 minutes and not concede either. Yeah, the, I, so. That's fair. It's just that because Liverpool are so good at it and all top teams are good at it and United seem to have this fatal naivety when it comes to it that, that I just don't think that trying to play the press works. Especially, didn't look, look at the games we played against Brighton and and Brentford, they just it just hasn't worked, and then that's trying to play an honest style of football. It's just no matter which way you look at it, they're just not set up to to achieve a good thing against Liverpool. So you, what you're looking at is wanting the players to show things that they haven't shown before, like a commitment and a work rate. The the 13 kilometers that were missing against Brentford, you need to see them on the pitch against Liverpool, and then 
what you're actually asking them to do with those 13 kilometers is to close the spaces. You're not really, I'm talking about economizing to get a nil-nil where you're going to find that nil-nil from before you're even talking about creating chances. And you're going yeah. to need that element of work rate in there to stop that. And and then whatever you can build on top of that, you're going to need economy. And do you get economy in possession from the likes of, take Ronaldo out of it, let's just say he's not on the bench. He's, the, oh, he's not in the team, sorry. Do you get economy from Bruno? Do you get economy from Rashford? You really don't. You get... No. I don't want to say wastefulness, but you've got a loss of confidence in there at the moment. So you're going to need... I, and I don't know, is there, is from the three years of evidence that we've got with this team, maybe five with the different players coming in and out. Certain players, yeah. Is, is there anything in there that suggests that within this last four or five days, the pennies dropped? You're asking a lot. No, you're, you're right. asking a lot. Yeah. You're very right. And you come back to Brentford and Christian Eriksen facing his own goal. I mean, he's the one player in there of the midfield players who has some economy of use of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. McTominay and Fred, just dreadful passes to the ball. Bruno, just it's it's always it's always the highest risk option. And I think it's got even worse, to be honest. Yeah. As his confidence and form has dropped. So you, you want Eriksen in there to keep the ball but you don't want him facing his own goal <laughs> and just yeah. fell directly into Brentford's trap, didn't he? I, anyway, I I am very... Um, I have no hope about this game, honestly. I mean, we got five <laughs> and four against stuff last season. Maybe Ten Hag will set up in a very pragmatic way, but that is just to keep the numbers down. I am uh, telling you, yeah. my biggest prediction for this game is nothing to do with the match itself. It's to do with the joke that I posted after we won the Bangkok Century Cup. And I was saying, I think I posted something like Man United's reserve team three, Liverpool's first team nil or something like that, and then switched around for the second half. And I know he's coming back. I know he's going to come back when United are 4-0 down at half-time. That tweet is going to come straight back to me on my timeline. Guys, if any Liverpool fans are listening, it was obviously a joke. I, I know it's not <laughs> it's not wise to brag about the Bangkok Century Cup. I know what's waiting for us on Monday, but but yeah, it's a, it, that's probably more predictable than anything that we're going to see on the pitch. So it's uh, yeah, it's not one I'm looking forward to. I'm going to be honest. Have you won the Bangkok Century Cup? The size of that trophy? We'll be like cowering on the pitch. Just take the trophy. Just take just take the Bangkok Century Cup. Oh God, I don't. Amazing. All right, I think that's enough nonsense for this this one <laughs> Wayne great to talk to you great insight as always I, I hope by the next time we talk we've got new owners you never know and that United have gone out and spent sensible money on great players and the ship has turned around and we can finally hallelujah talk about a decent team but it doesn't seem likely well I, I just think at least the next time we talk we'll at least be outside of that chaos and we'll be able to look back and analyse what happened and probably still make a bad assessment of it, but at least we'll be able to do it with hindsight instead of wading through the mess like we are at the moment. It's it's very complicated at the moment for United, and anyone who's got the patience to sit through the social media updates every hour is probably a better fan than what I am at the moment. It takes a lot of patience. Thank you, listeners, for your patience for listening to this nonsense every week. Really appreciate it. We'll be back after the Liverpool game to digest Manchester United 1 Liverpool nil 6 <laughs> could be any of those that's ambitious